I want to, before I get into my message, I want to tie back to my offering about removing the limits. Uh, I'm not preaching this as doctrine because it's not doctrine. It's just, it's somebody's faith and what they did. So don't leave her listening to this thinking I'm saying you should do this. I'm, I just want to tell you a testimony of somebody where I was talking about re- removing the limits. And this person had given a testimony that every year that they came into, they determined how much they wanted to make for that year. And so they started tithing on the dollar amount that they were believing for, not on what they made. Now, if you're, if you're not very good at math, let me, let me help you. The math on that doesn't work. Because if you're, you're believing for like two times more than what you're making, you're tithing twice as much, which comes out of your today budget. Okay, so follow. And I'm not, this is not doctrine. This is some guy's faith. But he, he had been doing it for several years when I heard him give the testimony. I don't even remember who it was now because it's been a long time ago. But every year, <coughs> his income ended up matching his tithe. Now, why am I telling this? Because what I, I said before about removing the limits. Now, that's not doctrine on the tithe. The tithe is a tenth of our increase. But somebody took the word of God and added some faith to it and said, I'm going to step this thing up and go out to someplace else. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. And we've got to get into, and Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. We've got to step into this realm that there are no limits with God. Um, last month, I talked about, I did three Sundays on honor. I was talking to Pastor Harbaum this week, and uh, I was telling him about it, some of the things that really impressed me on it. And he says, yes, he says, I fully believe this, that honor is the doorway into the supernatural. Now, the supernatural is when super gets unnatural. There's things that happen in the natural, depending on your skill set, depending on your your understanding of matters or whatnot. There's things that you and I can do in the natural, but the supernatural is when God gets on what we're doing and makes it beyond what can be done in the natural. And uh, he started sharing with me some things on on that element of honor, which I say, and I I tell you, uh, don't think you're honorable if you're not really paying attention to this, because we live in an honorless society. Yeah. Uh, I just look over, even in this church, over this, this last year, things set in order to do some things, and people come in and they try to change, they want to get their little spin on it or whatnot. It's a lack of honor. We don't, we don't categorize honor because we look at the intention of our heart. Well, no, I'm just trying to make it better. No, honor puts you secondary. And we're to honor one another. We should be looking out for one another. And, uh, and so today, <coughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on a message that I'm just going to tell you up front. There's going to be a, a certain percentage in here that will disagree with me. So, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I've had conversations with people about this same topic, and they've disagreed with me. So you're, you're subject to disagreeing with me. I'm going to stick with the Bible, though. And, um, uh, and you, can, you can have your own... Uh, choice, but the things that I've been been preaching on lately are really geared more toward rapture ready, Amen. and uh, because Jesus is coming back, and we better get our life in line with what He has said. So, if you got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter two. We're going to launch off here. Amen. I quote uh, the latter part of uh, chapter one and the beginning part of chapter two, being seated with Him. I'm not I'm not going there today, but we're going to go to chapter two, verse one. 
And I'm going to walk through some things that kind of lay a foundation with these first couple of scriptures, and then we're going to, uh, I'm going to divert and go a different direction. But I'm laying a foundation to where I'm going that you're probably not going to realize what I'm going to talk about in, uh, in the scriptures. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you, say that's me, has he quickened. Now, I'm in a King James Bible. It says quickeneth or quickened. Uh, if you have a different translation, it probably says something like gave life to, uh, because quickeneth means to give life. So, so he's talking about that in him we've been given life. Not, not, you know, inhaling, exhaling life, but the life in Christ that is available to us. So, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, so he's talking, he's got a, a, a before and after picture here. Is before the life came, we were dead. Now, again, he's not talking about nobody's putting you in a casket. You were living under the cycle of death, sin and destruction. And now he's given you the opportunity that, that he has created in us a living spirit connected to him. Okay, so are you with me? Before and after. Now he's going to define the before. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Okay, so, so in other words, we did things as we learned. What we were taught in school, what we were taught by our parents, what business taught us, what employment taught us. That, you know, we were shown how to live and how to make it work. How many knows that life in Christ doesn't, it's not subject to those limitations? You, you, you pull out of here. I should know this. What's the speed limit out there? 25 or 35? 35. Okay, 35 maybe. You pull out of here in the natural. you got a natural car. It'll take you out. You turn left or right on Tulare Avenue. Now you've got a law imposed upon you. It says don't drive faster than 35. Everything will be okay. You violate it. You're going to get ticket. You're going to get penalized. Enoch, not Enoch, um, I just for Philip. Philip, when he was ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, when he was done, he was translated. Okay, he didn't need the vehicle. He didn't have a restriction on speed. And there were no angel police going to give him a ticket if he went too fast. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there's a difference between living in Christ and living in the world. Now, most Christians have never experienced that. Because we, going back to 12.2, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed through the renewing of your mind. What most Christians do is they get born again and still live under the system that's keeping them in bondage. You follow me? We're in a time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, if we went back into chapter 1, he starts talking about uh, 121, far above prince of power, might dominion, every name that is named the world, and all this come put all things under his feet. He said, when, when you're not in this place of in him, you are subject to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So what is he saying? is he's pointing out here that even in Christ, you can still subject yourself to the elements that are below you. In fact, we're not going to go this far, but down in verse 6, he says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are in a place 
that is above, or we should be in a place that is above. Now, one of the big struggles in life is I don't know how to get there because I only know what to, to do, what I know to do. I mean, I've prayed, I've asked God to do it. But remember in the book of Acts, he says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And this is where we miss it, is we're not functioning in that place. Can I tell you a secret? Something I'm believing for? Now, Peter's believing to raise the dead. I believe he will. I'm believing to translate on one of these international trips. I read of it once before. A guy gave testimony. He walked into a, uh, in, fact, in fact, I think it's in India where I'm going next month. Uh, I, I believe he was going to India too. Praise God. Maybe the same thing. He, he was in, you know, Fresno Airport like me, but it wasn't Fresno, but here in the United States. He walked in the bathroom, came back out, and he was in the Indian airport. Man, that sounds better than sitting on a plane for 17 hours. Okay, verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, or you're subject to the anger of God, even as others. Now, I want you to, the, the, the basis of the before. The basis of the before is your conversation and your mind. We just read it there in verse 3. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So the before was we lived according to how we think and how we feel. But the after is we're going to live according to a separate principle. Now, I'm going to go back here for just a minute to my, my message on honor. Most people don't think it really means that much, but it's huge with God. And we've got to start thinking on the realm that God thinks. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about something here because before Adam, or, or during Adam's time, before he fell, before he sinned is what I meant to say. Adam had zero fear of death. Before Adam sinned, Adam had zero <coughs> fear of lack. Before he, he fell, Adam had zero fear of making life work. But once he fell, now he lived in a cycle of trying to make things work. Now he had a fear of death. Now he had a fear of lack. Now he had a fear of just, had a fear of just put your fear wherever you want to put your fear. All fear then is based in death. And Hebrews talks about this, that, that fear keeps people in bondage to death. Because fear is, it's not going to work on some level, and I'm going to struggle. Okay, now jump down to verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are we saved. So in Christ, it should switch back. When Adam sinned, death entered. But when we received Christ, life entered. See, Paul illustrated this when he says, I'm betwixt two, whether to go home, which is better for me, or to stay here, which is better for you. Yeah. 
Now, if you know the history, Paul was decapitated. He was, his head was cut off. He had no fear of his head getting cut off. He's just dealing with the facts here. I, I see the struggle that you guys are in. I see what you needed, and I impart, and I know as soon as I'm gone, wolves are going to come in and try to mess this up. The longer I'm with you, the more I can get you solid. But, dude, I've really finished my course. I can go home right now if I want to. Now, you have to also understand the position of authority that he sat in because he was executed under Nero. Nero who burned Rome? Nero was not able to execute him until he gave up spiritual authority and said, okay, it can happen now, I'm going to go home. Now, there's a viewpoint in this of being saved because we should be switching back to Adam that when we get in Christ... There is no more fear of it not working. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? And how am I going to do that? I've, I, I can testify this year, some things that I've been believing for, they ain't happened. So here about July-ish, when it wasn't happening, when I wasn't moving forward, I upped my ante. I started praying for more. Well, I thought... You, Satan, you're going to put hindrances and the stuff going to me? I'll just kick some sand in your face and believe for more. Amen. And I've been able to keep, it still hasn't happened to today. We're in November now. But, uh, but I haven't changed my belief system. The things I'm believing for this church, the things I'm believing for personally, I'm not, I, I, I've, I think I've, I've handled it pretty well. I know the best I've ever handled it before. I'm not moved by what I see, and I've, I've not changed what I'm doing. I'm pressing in to see the manifestation of it. All right, are you with me? Now go to Galatians chapter 4. It should only be a page or two to your left. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. But now, after that we have known God. Oh, wait a minute. Paul's going to correct what he just said. Or rather, are known of God. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, around 2021, uh, Jesus said, many shall... Uh, say to me, Lord, Lord, and I shall say unto them, depart, I never knew you. They're going to say, going backwards a little bit on the verse, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils? Have we not done this? Have we not done all these mighty good works? And Jesus is going to say, depart, I never knew you. Don't get focused. I, the, where I see most Christians is that I know Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of Jesus. Oh, don't rejoice on that. Rejoice if he knows you. Do you know when he knows you? Got verses on this. When we do what he says. Isn't it amazing that we know the verse and we struggle with the concept? He's not, he's not knowing us because we intend to do his word. He's knowing us because we do his word. All right, let's go back to 4.9. Or rather, you are known of God. How turn ye again... To the weak and beggarly elements. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So how many times in our walk, there's a reason for this, which is the subject of my message. I'm just laying a foundation. How can we know and see the goodness of God and then we turn back to what doesn't work? But do you know what happens all the time? Be honest with me. I'll give a testimony here. I've seen it work in my life. You know, I can honestly say, I've never stepped up in faith and God has failed me. 
God makes it work. There's been, I use finance because I talk about money a lot, is there's been times we've stepped up and we've given a lot and uh, we didn't go hungry. We did not have to eat beans and rice. Because, because there was no food in the house. And if you don't know me, you know I, I, I hate beans. But, uh, but, you know, it's a cheap food. I did not have to eat it. Every single time we've ever done anything, even when it appeared really hard, God always met us and we always made it. But now, you've got to hear the rest of the story. The next time God wants us to step up and do something big, there was a struggle there again. Have you ever done that? Yeah. It's like you, God met you, God did it, you got through it, and then the next time you said, I don't know if I can do that. How many of you ever experienced this? Just raise your hand. Okay, okay, over half. Why do we turn back to the weak and the beggarly elements? In fact, let me just make it a little bit more graphic here because there's a verse in the Old Testament, a verse in the New Testament that talks about a dog returning to its vomit. Now, how many finds that repulsive? The dog doesn't. I've always wondered how their sense of smell and taste is so much greater than humans, and they can just walk up and stick their nose in poop and smell it and, and not, not gag. And then when they vomit, it's like, Ugh. it's like, ooh, that looks good. But here we're talking about the weak and the beggarly elements. Turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. Now, I don't think anybody would say, you know, if you went up and said, why did you go back to that? Well, I just desired to get back into bondage. I don't think anybody says that. I think they, they think more like, I can handle it this time. But even then, why would we want to walk away from work so much better? There's, there, there's a reason for it. Now, so why do we turn back? Number one is we're driven by wants. I mean, it goes back to Adam and Eve. They wanted to taste the fruit. But they were enticed by unthankfulness. How many knows it's Thanksgiving month? Uh, that's what we're talking on today is thankfulness. See, if, if Adam and Eve had truly been thankful for everything that they had, they would not have wanted more. Amen. That right there is a very powerful statement. If, if you didn't get that, let me just go ahead and say it again. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> if Adam and Eve had been thankful, they wouldn't have tried to get more. There was a want in there, but it was driven by their unthankfulness. And this is why I said people are going to disagree with me, because people will say things like, well, I'm really thankful, but. No, you're not. I preached a message one time, what side of the butt do you live on? See, if you're really thankful, you're on the left side of the butt. There is no butt there. But if you say butt and you're on the right side of the butt, you're not thankful, because you just disregarded the left side of the butt. How many, you know, we're coming up to Christmas here. How many has ever gotten a gift from somebody? Oh, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. Oh, this is precious. I can't remember. I, I just, oh, thank you for doing this. this is and then you walk in and say, I can't believe they got me that. <laughs> Y'all laughing. You did this before, haven't you? No, I haven't. We got a little core going up here on front, so excuse me while I listen in. 
No, you're, you're not thankful if there's more to be had. See, if I ever steal, it, I'm living in a lifestyle of unthankfulness because I have to have what you want or what you have. If true thankfulness was in the core of people, there would be no adultery. I need, what's that? Okay. See, any arena where I need more is an arena where I'm not thankful for what I have. You know, you and all of us sitting in here, I don't think there's anybody that lives in a foreign country and they're here on a, on a vacation or something like that. You and me as American citizens, we should be far more thankful than what we are. But we're in the not good enough zone. Oh, well, I'm thankful that I have a roof overhead, but I want. Well, I'm thankful that I got a car that runs, but I want, I need. See, now this, this thankfulness in the spiritual concept is a powerful element that relates to our walk with God. See, I could, I could if I were to ask every Christian, which, you know, that's impossible, are you thankful for Jesus Christ? They would all say, oh, yes, I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. Yet they struggle with their money. They struggle with their time. They struggle with the concepts of submission and honor and doing what God wants us to do. Because I've elevated my want above what God has provided. Now, if you don't think this is real, just go back to Adam and Eve. They had everything. They lacked nothing. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. And yet they wanted a piece of fruit. That, they got all the other fruit trees that they can have. They, they just wanted that one because they were told not to. It enticed them with the help of the enemy. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Amen. See, it played out here in real action. Matthew chapter 15, verse 36. And Jesus looked at the loaves, the seven loaves, and the fishes, and gave thanks. Now, I want you to, you know, this is where I've been, I've been saying lately, you know, our food, if you, if you study out our American food, it is flat junk. Yeah. I mean, it's got poisons and stuff in it. I, you, you better take a new approach on praying over your food. Amen. Uh, because there's stuff in it that's not fit for human consumption. Okay, but Jesus, let's go back to my story here. I'm talking about thankfulness. Jesus gave thanks. So it's not like a routine prayer. He gave thanks. He was thankful for the loaves and the fishes, but now you have to compare the loaves of the fishes to the need. There, there was not enough loaves and fishes based on the amount of people that were there. But yet he gave thanks for what he had. And in the giving of thanks, let's go back here. Where, where am I at? Verse 36. Let me find it again. And he took the loaves and the fish and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. Now, in order for them to be filled, because there was men out there and probably teenage boys, there were seconds and thirds because they were filled. It wasn't like we're just going to give you a little dab here to get you through so that when you get back home, you can get a real meal. No, it says they were all filled. 
So the disciples, you know, they're going down and, you know, here's some bread and here's some fish and here's some bread and here's some fish. And, you know, they're going down and they're they're giving people, you know, a, a, a portion to eat. And then after they ate for a few minutes, they come back. Would you like seconds? Uh, here's some bread and here's. Oh, you don't like fish. OK, um, here's some bread and here's some fish and here's some bread and here's some fish. Here's some bread and here's some fish. And they let them eat for a little bit. Uh, are you still hungry? A little bit. A little bit. OK, you <laughs> bread or fish. Uh, we'll give you that. Or are you still hungry? go get because they were all filled. So they had to keep going back until everybody all all was all. No, 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 man. I've had enough. Whew, I'm up to here on food. Thank you anyway. OK. And they went down until everybody said, no, I'm full. But what opened the door to it? Thanks. Father, I'm thankful that you have supplied for my present need. Now, translate this into your life. Have you ever felt like <coughs> you were in a position where you are over your head, where there was not enough, that you can't handle the task, or did you focus on what God had given you? You remember the, the, the woman that was going to make a couple of biscuits for her and her son? And the prophet came. What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm gathering. I mean, she only had two sticks. It ain't a big fire. I mean, it was a little meal, a little oil for them to eat. He says, no, make it for me first. And then all of a sudden, there was more than enough. All he needed was something. The other woman that uh, was, you know, what was it, dead, I think. They were going to take her kids and put her in a debtor's prison. He said, what do you have in your house? Well, I don't have anything save a little oil. She had something. Look how that, that demon works, the demon of a little bit. I don't have anything save except for a little oil. And so he says, go gather you, you vessels, not, not a few. You go out and you gather you vessels. And when she started pouring, it just didn't stop until she got down to the last vessel. See, all, all, you don't need uh, Prophet Elijah uh, and the, the drought keeps sending a servant. Go look and see if we got a, got a cloud the size of a man's hand. He didn't say, oh, that's not enough. What are we going to do with that? He says, well, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. All you need is a something. See, but where we mess up is we focus on the lack. I don't have enough. I don't, you listen to, pay attention, I pay attention to people talk. People, do, people don't think I listen. I'm, I'm actually a very good listener. I just don't make a lot of comments on things. Oh, I want this. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want this. I want that. They live by their wants. Oh, uh, if you could translate it to, to the way God hears it, based on Bible, I don't like what I have. I need something else. Now, there's no, you know, a lot of times I, I preach on faith. You can apprehend things by faith. But what I'm, what I'm talking about today is, is thankfulness. And things that irritate us, things that make us think we don't have enough, they were all filled. God has no limits. God has no limits. Your job has limits. The value of money has limits. It's going down, 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 down. Why, why you're seeing inflation, because the value of the dollar uh, and what it can purchase. Limits are created by our mindset, which is based in unthankfulness. 
man, you, do, you, do you know if we could really get thankfulness in? And, and I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll just tell you my, my little secrets. I hate being uncomfortable. It's just one of my things. I like to be comfortable. But are you thankful you got a chair that's uncomfortable? Or are you focused on your uncomfortable? This is the fight of David. See, when we're truly thankful that God meets my needs, it shifts the whole element of life. Because it's a real deal. It's, it's a spiritual force in Christ. Now, our fears dominate and drive our life. And our fears are all based in unthankfulness. Do you know when uh, uh, Timothy starts talking, or Paul to Timothy starts talking about perilous times shall come? One of the things of the perilous times is unthankfulness. You're living in an environment where the, the spirits of, of demonic forces are working on your unthankfulness. How are they going to work on your unthankfulness? By working on your wants, desires, and lusts. Because as soon as we start following our wants, our desires, and our lust, we move from the realm of thankfulness. Because you can't be thankful when there's something more that needs to happen. It's a, it's a spiritual force from God. You ever, um, like, get a surprise blessing in money? You know, something happened, all of a sudden, boom, you got $800 or something. And, um, and you're just, like, floored. It's like, wow, look what God did, man. I didn't even know this was going to come. I had no idea. And then, like, the next day, your, your whatchamacallit goes out on your car and it took $795 to fix it. <laughs> Maybe you ever have that experience? Yeah, I've had it. Are you thankful that God supplied the need? No, no, don't be lying. Right. Are you thankful that God supplied the need or upset that you didn't get to spend the $800 on your wants? <laughs> Man, I finally got a blessing and I don't even get to, to enjoy it and fill my lust, wants, and desires. I had to take care of business instead of, my God is good. He saw that need coming and he supplied the money before the need came up. So I had it and there was no stress in the process. Now, it would fail me to not mention about going to work. Are we thankful we have a job or are we upset at the, the boss, the manager, the People we work with. I mean, I tell you what, I just work with, with a bunch of idiots, man. They don't know what. I tell you what, God needs to give me a job so I can be in a Christian environment. And, uh, and I don't have. Let me help you. Christians are goofy, too, especially when you get in the workplace. Uh, well, we won't go there. Psalms 23. Let me go to my last verse here. Amen. Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I, 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 so far to date, I'm the only one I've ever heard preach on this this week. Most people use verse 1 as a promise from God. If it is, if that is a correct teaching, it is the most unfulfilled promise of God in the whole Bible. I've never met a person that doesn't have a want. It's a command. How do you know that? Verse 2, he maketh me lie down. Why does he have to make me? Because I don't want to. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd leads. He's going to take me where I need to go to feed, to live, to, to protect. He's going to protect me from the wolves that come in, uh, everything like that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
I'm not going to allow my wants to take me out of the protection that God has placed me in. And I can't do it and violate myself because I'm thankful for where he has me. Verse 2, he maketh me. He maketh me. He maketh me. He maketh me. Lie down in green pastures. But you know, people have been people ever since people have been people. It's the grass is always greener on the other side. David, here's your nice green pasture. I've, I've prepared this for you. Just sit down in here. And David's going. Hey, the trees. Did you see the grass over there? You saw it. Was it green to you? Because it looked green to me. David, lie down over here. Yes, sir. But, 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 what about over there? David, he maketh me. Our hardest time walking with God is him getting through our wants and desires. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. There's very few people that I see that have a restored soul. They're more mentally ill. Because they're all battled up in everything that's going on. Trying to make it work. Walking with the God who said, I'll make it work. It's just not working in our timetable, but we have a God that has provided all things uh, for, pertaining to life and godness. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. And yet I'm struggling and I'm fighting because it's not happening in my, my timetable. He maketh me. He maketh me. David, get back over here. David, get back over here. David, get back over here. He leadeth me. I want you to watch this. We're going to read three and four and that's it. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Take the four out of there and just keep going. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you realize that his paths of righteousness, the things that will make everything work for you, is in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I can help you. We don't like walking through there. We want it to be nice. We want it to be easy. We want it to be comfortable. But notice, go back to verse 3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David, I need you to do this because I want to do something for you. Now, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm a God of blessings. I'm, I'm a good God, and you're my son. And I'm going to take but, but But I need you to go down this path right there. And I like to look at that path and, huh? Do, 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 do you see what's down there? Yeah, I see what's down there. I, I need to do some work down there, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to take you down there. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let's go do it, God. Okay, now, now, now David, you're going to have to, on, on the pathway, you're, you're going to be a little uncomfortable. Wait a minute, you didn't say anything about comfort. <laughs> I like comfort. <coughs> I remember one time we were in uh, Kenya, and we drove from Kenya. It was the last time that that pastor ever drove. Uh, we drove from Kenya to uh, Kakamega, which is over by the Uganda border. And uh, uh, I, I saw pastor. I said, you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, we got, uh, George has made sure that, every, no, Shatika at that time, George, or Shatika's made sure. I said, pastor. Look at the tires. You can see the air. 
<laughs> he said, no, they talked to him. They said, everything will be all right. I said, you know, I, I'm not a car guy. But when you can see the air, I don't think everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and we didn't even get out of town before we had flat tire. Sitting at a, uh, I, I just kept my mouth shut. It's like, it's, it's an eight or nine hour drive anyway. And uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, Pastor, he's just a tad taller than me. And Wayne's about my height. And we had the soccer player there. And he's like 6'3 or something like that with us. And we've got... Uh, we've got six people in a five-passenger car, and I'm in the middle, and my legs are all crunched up, and we're sitting like this. And, and during that eight hours, I probably meditated seven and a half hours. What in the world did I get myself into? I tell you, what, we had powerful services once we got there. We did get to stre stretch our legs at the Great Rift Valley. That was a blessing. It was a beautiful valley. Uh, but it's like, and you're wondering if you're going to lose another tire. So if I could put myself in this, God's saying, Dave, Dave, don't be concerned about this drive. I know it's eight hours, but you'll get through it. And uh, once you get there, some good things are going to happen. I'm, I, I need to deal with some stuff. But can we talk about the eight hours again? Yea, so I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. I said we're going to end there. I'm going to read one more verse. Watch this. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, if you were to ask me, skip God, just ask me. That's not where I want to have dinner. You know, I visualize this, you know, going back to the day. And uh, they fought with rocks, arrows, swords. And he says, I prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I just see myself walking up there, you know, and people whoosh, whoosh, missed that arrow. That sword went by, you know, and you're sitting there and rocks are being thrown. And God's, God's saying, David... Chill out, man. I got this. And then all of a sudden, he opens your eyes. You see an angel, and a rock's coming right at you. And the angel just goes, boop, knocks it off track. Arrow's coming, and boop, goes over your head. Thou preparest a table before you in the presence of your enemy. But how did I get to the table? Through the valley of the shadow of death. This is why he starts off. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, because I don't want to do it this way. I want to take a plane to the table. I want the armies around me. I want to be, have an escort. He says, I anoint your head with oil. We're in this month of Thanksgiving. And I want to, uh, I want to help you see you're probably not thank, thankful because I can see where it doesn't work in life. There, there's a personality bias. We're, we're all defaulted on a bias. We trained ourselves to do this. But um, there's a lot of people, Christians, who have a negative bias. They're biased toward what won't work. They're biased toward problems. Well, I can help you with that. You're not thankful at all. Because you created a bias that doesn't see the goodness or the hand of God operating. But we need to have a bias of thankfulness that we see everything that God provided. When Samson was going to go to war with a thousand Philistines, he just looked around to see what God had left there for him because he knew God was faithful, found the jawbone of the donkey and says, thank you, God. Start flipping around like Bruce Lee. Looked at the thousand against him, one against a thousand, not good odds. But he knew God had prepared the way for him. I guarantee you that in every situation of life, God has placed something that will get you through that next phase. 
because he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. But we've got to develop within us a heart of thanksgiving. I guarantee you, even on our, our national holiday Thanksgiving, most people are sitting around eating their turkey, their ham, their whatever, and they're not thankful for what they have in here in America. What'd you do? Well, we just celebrated our Thanksgiving holiday. Were you thankful? Huh? Did you like the way they made that salad? <sighs> My mom never did it that way. Can you see where thankfulness and unthankfulness works in our heart? This is a spiritual, biblical force that opens the pathway for God to do the miraculous. Let's stand. Do you know, even when uh, we, we start off without thankfulness. Even when people come to Christ, they struggle. What's this going to cost me? God has given us all things. I mean, if you're born again, and if you're born again in the United States of America, double, we've got so much to be thankful for. Now, if you get saved, I know we use the words interchangeably, but if you're still battling the elements of this world, you're not saved. You might be born again, but you're not saved because you haven't been delivered from it yet. You got the trifecta going on. But what will steal it from you is not being thankful. I've got to, I've got to keep myself in thankfulness that God has made a way when there seems to be no way. That God will never leave me nor forsake me. It might be uncomfortable. It might be challenging. It might even create some pain. And it's one of the things that, if you ever read the, the book that uh, Paul Popoff dropped off there of his father, Harlan Popoff, who was in a gulag a prison camp where they just beat him and left him starving and different things like that during... Um, um, Soviet Union was expanding. He had to. I don't really remember him talking about thankfulness. But you know, they were walking around in a field, and if they would see a kernel of corn in a cow poop, they'd pick it up, rub it off, and eat it because they were so hungry. He in, in, the, in the, the jail, they learned how to tap and communicate, and he would encourage other people. He never lost his sight of God even though he walked in pain, suffering, and horrendous. See, we, we have in this modern day, uh, we have submitted ourselves to our emotions. Very, very few Christians today can really walk with God because when something in life traumatic happens, they can't break out of it because they've submitted themselves to their own emotions. And they're more interested in how they feel about a matter than what God says about the matter. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm going to keep my eye on God because he's prepared a table for me and I'm going to get to the table. How focused are you to get to the table? Or how focused are you in what you're feeling and what you're going through? If I can have the elders come up at this time. Heavenly Father, I pray.